Hello everyone and welcome to That's the Hattrick episode number 2. I'm your host Aditya Rao and uh, today I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about football, uh, European football just in general. Uh, our previous episode was about the IPL and all the the weird things that have been happening in the first half of this very very delayed 2020 season. I want to also talk about the fact of COVID and what what what's all happening in football as well because we talked about uh how the lack of fans the lack of showing gentleman uh, nature that the cricket that the sport it is uh you know the fair play award things like that after games there's there's much more less of that happening there's more fist bumps and elbow to elbow uh you know things like that so i feel like the football world has also changed a lot obviously project restart for the premier league last season uh paused the league with Uh, when covid hit and then liverpool were just two wins away from from winning their first uh, premier league title and their 19th english division top flight title uh and you know how how well that was carried out uh you know with no fans strict protocols for players uh bubbles uh and in you know what not so it's, it it was a very big project by the premier league uh and of course la liga and you know serie a there've been a lot of uh kind of very different teams uh regarding coronavirus uh from sport to sport uh and uh, on today's episode I'll be talking more about uh football just to start off with today's nation leagues fixtures on today the October 14th and uh there were some very good results for Portugal uh Diogo Jota amongst the goals and Bernardo Silva uh as they beat Sweden 3-0 a very convincing result for them in the absence of Cristiano Ronaldo who was diagnosed with a positive covid test. We've seen a lot of big names uh contract the virus. Of course, initially, you know, Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh Mikel Arteta were some of the big names to initially report having the virus and then of course, the Italy was one of the first European countries to bear the brunt. Um I'm going to roll back the time a little bit to when uh the Champions League was going on at empty stadiums and we remember the Atalanta Valencia game in uh in Milan which was actually played in Milan um and that was described by scientists as a biological bomb for the virus because 80,000 people packed in the stadium mostly at Atalanta fans and we know what happened uh in the northern part of Italy uh with covid so it is it is still an ongoing thing and uh coming back to Portugal yes in, in the absence of Cristiano Ronaldo and that positive test in itself will have some ramifications for uh you know especially the champions league the fact that juventus are playing barcelona it's one of the most eagerly waited fixtures this year and there's not obviously sports taken a 4 5 month hiatus for a bit and now it's slowly coming back but 2020 would be it would be the epitome of 2020 to not allow even a messi versus ronaldo showdown to happen uh under the circumstances and we did see what strict protocols are being put in place by a lot of football associations around Europe uh you know most recently earlier this month uh Napoli were not allowed to travel to to Turin to play Juventus and Juventus was very recently handled a 3-0 win and Napoli was deducted a point as well i imagine Gattuso is not going to be very happy about that but that's just how it is i mean there's a lot of things to learn from that 
you know is it always the team's fault you know i'm in the nfl here in in america yeah we've seen you know the tennessee titans for example get positive covid tests and uh there they had games been delayed uh we saw them play the buffalo bills last night in the nfl and that game was delayed for over a week uh you know new england patriots their quarterback cam newton had a positive test and their games were delayed uh as well as which will be played next week against the broncos so i feel like there is some wiggle room here teams are trying to figure out a lot of things this is a new environment for a lot of people especially when you know in in football you have uh 20 25 uh, squad members you have a lot of training personnel you have you know the the the, the people who you know the kit men the the diners uh, the people who sort of it's it's all a big operation and to get all these people tested the medical professionals have such a big task on their hand and obviously italy is still recovering from that big wave of covid uh from march so i feel like it is a harsh decision on napoli but it could be it could be one for you know let's say that hey these these restrictions have to be tighter you know for us in order for us to play football safely um and 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 just coming back to the uve side of things cristiano ronaldo will be a big miss uh for that messi ronaldo showdown uh, uve barca showdown uh in the champions league which happens in 2 weeks so the the rules that uh the players are biding by right now says that you need to be tested negative for uh you know 10 days isolation and then you got to test negative so we could realistically see cristiano ronaldo miss this fixture which would be an absolute bummer for all football fans around the world because what he brings to the juventus table is unlike another um and we also see in this fixture if uh, all things go smoothly is arthur melo playing against his former team after that 75 million pound switch which also involved mirlam pjanic going the other way so it's going to be very interesting to see those two face their former teams uh and of course you know juventus the, the kind of football they play versus barcelona who lost suarez to atletico madrid recently uh is is going to be very interesting how they cope with it but they have a new star on the rise with ansu fati obviously serge your dest uh coming in as well and uh, dela fuente the, all these youngsters uh frankie de jong still a very solid player uh and juventus have a couple of their own very good youngsters uh, delete for example but it is going to be a very interesting matchup uh but i feel like this contest and the fans from a neutral perspective deserve to see cristiano ronaldo play this game uh although we don't we don't know how exactly that will happen i mean this could affect the premier league as well which is my next topic um and you know how uh players like bernardo silva a lot of wolves players uh who who are on that portugal team uh surrounded themselves by uh, surrounded by you know all these players and cristiano ronaldo and now testing positive uh luckily uh i heard that bruno fernandes has tested negative so for manchester united fans out there that's a good reason to be happy at the moment but all these you, you can't you can't control the virus to such a big extent uh it it is out there i mean players will go visit their families you know in f1 we saw sergio perez over uh, a break between two races go and visit his family in mexico take a private jet 
uh, come back, see his family and come back to a race and test positive. And Nico Hulkenberg stepped in uh, to race that next weekend. So it is very possible and, and, and you know, all no, no sort of bubble or anything is 100% foolproof. Um, but I just feel that there, there are a lot of hard restrictions, again, with the Napoli thing. Um, and players need to abide by that uh, all the time. And it, it, it is going to affect fixtures. I mean, it is possible that, you know, we saw the first week of this season, uh, Manchester United and Manchester City, two big teams in the Premier League, not playing their first in the first week because their season ended late. So things like that, you know, there is wiggle room for fixtures to be moved around. Uh, but uh, I do feel like in this instance, you got to feel for Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Juventus fans because that is a matchup everybody wanted to see. Forget the fans themselves, even neutrals would have loved to enjoy that. It's box office. Uh, so it's going to be a big miss. And uh, we generally hope that Ronaldo is able to play in that game. But uh, it, it, it could be touch and go, especially with the fact that there's only two weeks remaining to that game. Another big news coming in from uh, this week, especially from the Premier League, is Project Big Picture, which was rejected unanimously by all the clubs. And I, and I do feel that this is a very good decision, uh, especially because this sort of takes away from, you know, the sort of competitive, open nature of football uh, in England, uh, sort, of, sort of spreading the game to... The smaller teams, you know, the EFL Cup, for example, or which is called the Carabao Cup, is such a an interesting competition. It's it's cup football. You you have an atmosphere where you know the biggest teams in the country, like the Cities and the Liverpools and the Uniteds, will go to the smallest third tier team in England and 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 get beaten at times. You know, just the atmosphere. You know, the this feeling of a small club being a big club to get rid of that would would have been painful, especially for the small teams which make a lot of revenue uh, in these big games and cup competitions when they play the big teams by viewership. So it's a good decision from that. And uh, on Wednesday, the Premier League released a statement saying all 20 Premier League clubs today unanimously agreed that this project big picture will not be endorsed and will not be pursued by the Premier League or the FA. And the Premier League shareholders agreed to work together as a 20 club collective on a strategic plan for the future structures and financing of English football, consulting with stakeholders to ensure a vibrant, competitive, sustainable football pyramid, which I think is the right decision. Uh, the English Premier League has always been the most consistently competitive league in the country. And you know, the last couple of years, we have seen the dominance from Manchester City and Liverpool and earlier than that, United and Chelsea. But uh, from an economics perspective, uh, the Premier League is one of the most, and from a competition perspective, it's one of the most uh, competitive leagues in the world, and you wouldn't want to lose that. So Project Big Picture, which was initially uh, put forward by Liverpool and Manchester United, two of the biggest names, uh, but they haven't said anything publicly after the, this vote was unanimously rejected. Um, and now they're asking EFL chairman Rick Perry to be their spokesperson, uh, essentially, uh, to the public uh, after after that decision. So it's it's very interesting. I, I'm glad that it's not done. It kind of ruins the competitive nature of the English Premier League. And it would be a more power shift for the bigger teams, bringing in more revenue, more uh, sort of peak, uh, peak traffic, peak, uh, you know, all streaming traffic and TV traffic. 
which would just ruin the game and make it even more about money than it already is. Uh, and and football is already on into that vortex, especially with the kind of transfer fees that are being paid for uh, players nowadays. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 great uh, that this was rejected, and the Premier League should continue as normal, and we should we should all see you know some really uh, interesting results this weekend. And you know I still haven't got my head around what happened last week, especially at Old Trafford. And then at Villa Park, uh, there have been some seriously baffling results. You know, obviously it started with Manchester City and Leicester. Leicester winning 5-2, uh, you know, giving away three penalty penalties. And, you know, the art of defending seems to be on the decline, uh, the way we're seeing goals go in. Uh, and then the way, the professionalism with which Tottenham Hotspur played at Old Trafford against Manchester United. Uh, of course, United themselves are having a little bit of an uh, issue, which I will come to later on in the in in this podcast but uh Aston Villa Liverpool is a result we never saw coming Liverpool have started off a bit shaky you know the the Liverpool Leeds game where they conceded three goals should have sounded off a little bit of an alarm alarm in a sense but uh you do see Liverpool because they're such an entertaining team have sort of these high scoring games uh where you know it's end to end football uh but it it, it was very surprising to see them concede seven uh, especially a Jurgen Klopp team, which is so uh, structurally sound. The three midfield players know what they're doing all the time. Uh, there's a there's a sense of uh, you know no, like normalcy uh, in in certain ways when when Liverpool play at Anfield, but away from home, you never thought them to lose by to concede seven. And of course, Allison was a big miss uh, in that game as well. I, I still feel that Allison is a big is a big player of that Liverpool defense and. Uh, obviously, it was a big miss against against Villa. And looking forward to, the, to this weekend, the Premier League, we have some some really mouth-watering fixtures. Who would have thought when the season started that Everton would be on top of the table uh, with four out of four wins? So they have they have some really good uh, you know you know wins under their belt. You know they they want to add uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They put five past West Brom, you know, they won at Palace and then four against Brighton and Hove Albion. So it's a it's a great it's a great start for Everton. Obviously, Carlo Ancelotti is such a experienced manager, not just in, in England with Chelsea, but you know, in Italy, in Spain, and he's got all these players, he's got a great mix of players now uh in, in Everton. And I think James Rodriguez is a transfer that a lot of bigger clubs slept on and Everton got it done which is a great testament to the owners uh, it's a great testament to the board and, and and Ancelotti himself because James Rodriguez was not having his the best of careers at, at at Madrid and you know he's been in and out of the squad he was loaned so I feel like there's definitely potential there for for Everton to have a superstar of their own and obviously that midfield looks much better with James Rodriguez in, in the middle. Um, Decor is another great addition. I feel like he's a strong, solid midfielder. Uh, he has legs, can get up and down the pitch. And uh, Richarlison is a great striker as well. So they have a really good front three. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's been probably the, the, the poster boy of this current Everton season so far. Uh, and he's been firing on all cylinders for England as well. So it's very interesting to see how Ancelotti is, is coaching that team. You know, obviously last season when he came in, Everton were in tatters. Uh, he's kind of 
kind of brought the ship back a little bit uh, and, and he's really running with it this season. So hats off to him and, and to see Aston Villa and Leicester City as well. I mean, I mean in, in the top three, obviously it's early early days in this Premier League, but it's it's very, very interesting to see uh, this this sort of mix up of these, these teams start up really well. Leeds United have been really good as well. Uh, with two wins and, and just one loss of seven points. And the only loss was obviously at, at Anfield, which I think that was a game which they could have possibly, you know, you know, even got a point out of. So, and this weekend, the Merseyside derby is going to be very interesting because Liverpool would, would have wanted that international break right after that 7-2 defeat against Aston Villa, which again, I never saw coming, um, which I don't think anybody saw coming. And now it kind of like takes them up against what I think is the farm team, the Premier League Everton. Uh, and it's going to be a great encounter. I feel like it's not going to be cagey. You know, Everton have been leaky in defense. They have their own issues. Uh, I still think that Jordan Pickford is, uh, is is not the best keeper out there. Let me just put it that way. Um, but, you know, I feel like these two teams could trade blows. You know, we, we saw a 3-3 Everton uh, Liverpool draw in 2013-14. Romelu Lukaku, Luis Suarez, and Daniel Sturridge getting that late equalizer. So I feel like it's going to be that sort of game. We've always seen one set in Merseyside derby since then. You know, uh, mostly draws and stalemates at Goodison and 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 big wins for Liverpool at Anfield. But I feel like this year it's a bit. It's going to be a bit different. It's going to be them trading blows in this game. And and for the neutral perspective, is hopefully to see a really really enjoyable free-flowing game and obviously the next big game is Man City Arsenal and these are two clubs with completely different fortunes at the minute Uh, Liverpool did beat Arsenal but Arsenal won the three other games Manchester City for example struggling like their neighbors Man United down in 14th with just one win in three games and uh, who that big Leicester defeat was definitely damaging for Pep Guardiola especially after spending 300 million on on that defense uh and it's it's just not working out at the back for city at the moment so i think this international break was also a very good uh thing for city as well uh pep guardia has a lot of think, things to think about you know front three you know how he's going to set up against this uh arsenal team uh who who sort of the, the signing of thomas party is very good because you know think about the midfielders that arsenal have had in the past uh, Patrick Vieira, uh, Mikel Arteta himself, very solid midfield players. And then since then, Jack Wilcher, uh, you know, he, the the failed loan of uh, Kim Kallstrom, uh, El Nani, Gendozi, Xhaka is very polar depending on day-to-day. So Thomas Partey is already a tried and tested midfielder from Atletico Madrid. He's very solid. You know, you've seen the system that Atletico Madrid plays and he's able to sort of cover uh, that back four really well. He can get up and down the pitch. Very good box-to-box uh, player as well as a nice passer of the ball. So I feel like he's a really good addition to Arsenal. And we'll see how if, if you know how the debut goes or if he's allowed to play for that game, depending on the the restrictions for players coming into the country, especially with COVID and everything. And uh, the other surprise to see at the bottom of the table is Manchester United 16th. Of course, they've just played a game less than everybody else, but that 6-1 defeat, uh, two defeats in, in two at Old Trafford, 
conceding nine goals. We have to talk about Harry Maguire because he did get sent off today for England at, at Wembley and became the only third player after Paul Scholes and Steven Gerrard to do so. So a lot of questions at the back. You know, I still believe that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is, you know, he's a, he's a good manager, but he's, he's got, he's, he, his seat is heating up right now. His honeymoon period is over. His honeymoon period was the end of the 2018-19 season when uh, Jose Mourinho was fired uh, and they went on that run uh, of victories. I still feel that Oli has, you know, his previous managerial experience was Molda. He's played for United. He knows what a big club it is, but there is something missing there uh, for for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. So I feel that the, the club is coming to a boiling point if, if they can't continue this form. They can't continue leaking goals like this, you know, players not stepping up. Victor Lindelof has looked sort of very... He's looked... I would say he looked a bit immature in def- in defense. He gets bullied off by strikers. You saw how easily Crystal Palace got through and scored three goals against that Manchester United defense. David De Gea has been on a little bit of a rut. Harry Maguire, it, it, ever since that incident in Greece. So it's it's been a very... Turbulent time for Manchester United since Project Restart. You saw the way they pulled in a run to make the top four uh, in the last season after after the season restarted. And do you think it's the same team again? No, something must have gone on behind the scenes. Is it the board? Is it the transfer window? Because they, they've got in Cavani, who I think is a really good striker. He's way past his prime. And there's a reason why he hasn't played for five or six months that he didn't before he joined United. I still think he will add something. United has lacked that really good number nine for a while. You know, Romelu Lukaku was the closest they got to it. And then Jose Mourinho had a way of playing him and uh, Solskjaer had a way of playing him and things just didn't work out. Um, I don't think in the long run, Anthony Martial is a number nine for the club. I do feel like he brings a lot of things to the table, but he needs to be played out wide where he can run one-on-one. I just I just always think back to that first goal he scored against Liverpool uh, at Old Trafford. And is this... It's not the same Anthony Marshall. We've seen a more mature version of him. But in some, it's a lot of other ways, where's that raw pace of Anthony Marshall running at defenders? It's kind of lost a little bit. So there's a lot of things for Oli to think about right now. Uh, you know, obviously, penalties saving the team at the moment, in my opinion. Uh, but there's a lot of other bigger problems which I will come to later on when I talk about Barcelona and United's board issues. And uh, yeah, so we're going to look at Germany now. Germany uh, under Joachim Löw. Obviously, that 3-3 draw against Switzerland didn't really help Joachim Löw's uh, sort of pedigree at the moment because every since, ever since the 2018 World Cup, there have been a lot of, uh, been a lot of ups and downs for this Germany team. There have been a lot of questions of Joachim Love is, you know, is he complacent? He's a, he's a World Cup winning coach. Uh, nobody can sort of question his stature uh, and, and, you know, what he is as a very level-headed uh, person on the pitch, uh, a very tactical, a very structural person in his mind. But this Germany team is just, I, it, it's a lot of youth. You know, you know. Look at the team that won the World Cup in 2014, and the team that played in 2018. And there have been so many changes. You know, obviously Thomas Muller, Jerome Boateng, big misses. Uh, you know, so that especially the German midfield. You know, look at Toni Kroos, Goretzka, and what the kind of beast that he's become with Bayern Munich. And you think that there is talent there. Uh, 
but I don't it there's a couple of things that are just not working out the German front three you think Serge Gnabry Timo Werner and uh, uh, Leroy Sané are you know base machines in their own sense and Timo Werner is probably one of the best finishers in Europe so I don't understand what exactly it is but does it come down to the coaching does it come down to the DFB uh, there's a lot of things that this German team has to figure out right now and they just don't look like they're going to compete for a big European tournament for the next couple of couple, three four years and the 2022 World Cup in Qatar could really be a telling feature in that and we don't even know if Joachim Love is going to be the manager by then the way things are going right now especially the way they played in the last Nations, Nations League uh, of course they were spared by no relegation but it is it is a very turbulent time for Germany as well uh, you know especially the, the way these players played for Bayern Munich and in their clubs uh, you think the leader that Manuel Neuer is the leader that Toni Kroos is and uh, the way Timo Werner leads the front of the line you have to be you have to be wondering is this german team getting everything right or is it the manager so there's a lot of things to think about there for for Joachim Love and and he's in a little bit of a rough spot but i i do feel like germany could use a coach that is a, that is a bit more aggressive and in in you know europe we're sort of moving to that sort of uh sort of style of play germany loves possession they they keep the ball really well but you know you look at the way Bayern Munich are direct you know when they they keep the ball well they need well they need to be and then the the job that Hansi Flick has done in in absolutely letting that front three you know run with it, the the season that Robert Lewandowski has had and he's clearly been robbed of a Ballon d'Or so it's it's a very turbulent time for Germany and, and they have a couple of things to to figure out and and you know Joachim Löw is in a little bit of a tough spot here and i'm not sure if he's going to make uh make it out of it completely to be honest. And finally I'm going to speak about the Barcelona board and uh Manchester United boards because these are two of the biggest clubs. Uh you know, I Barcelona has been its own uh sort of uh plethora of uh negative news in the recent few weeks after that 8-2 defeat a couple of months ago. And then you look at uh what's been going on in the transfer market losing Suarez Uh, you know obviously Coutinho coming back it is never a good look when somebody you loan out to another team scores two against you uh, and knocks you out like that 8-2 um obviously Josep Bartomeu is definitely not supported by the fans uh the board it's itself wants to see him go there's the club you know is doing things with its stadium there, there's a lot of things going on in Barcelona right now and it, I feel like it is showing on the players a little bit Yes, they're going to face a tricky away test to Getafe who are level on points with them. But I I do feel like this this sort of period for Barcelona is so the honeymoon period is over. Is Barcelona the team that can challenge the Champions the, the Champions League winners uh Bayern Munich? Is because Bayern Munich look like the favorites again the way they're playing. Is Barcelona the team that you know uh can be the barcelona of the early to the you know the the time with ronaldinho and you know messi at his peak uh with guardiola at the helm is is it the manager is it is it you know the whole supporting staff there is something going on there that is not completely clear but what i have to say is that the board is definitely not shouldering the burden that they should at the moment especially jose bartomeu in the sort of 
the morale of the players, just the way that they're disgruntled with the board and, you know, the statements that have come out, especially the, the fact that Messi wanted to leave and, you know, the fact that they would take Messi to court uh, because of his transfer fee. Uh, all of this is just sort of like has a negative aura about it on the, around Barcelona at the moment. And Real Madrid, it's the one that La Liga last season, uh, but Barcelona really didn't didn't step up in La Liga. And you got to question yourself well, what, if they will this season. And, you know, the sort of style of football they played uh, kind of like shows that. But there has been a bright spark, obviously, Ansu Fati. Uh, really good talent and he's going to definitely tear up the league um, and he's going to be a big front runner for Barcelona and you also have to look back at uh, some of the other signings that they've that, that they've made and you know the players of their soul uh, I was talking about Arthur earlier uh, and bringing in Pjanic this Barcelona team has a lot of 30 plus players who are not going to cut it in a couple of years you know I think Gerard Piquet uh, Sergio Busquets way past his prime uh, Leo Messi himself is going to be uh, 30, 35 in a couple of years it's, 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 a lo- it's a very transitioning period for Barcelona uh, you know having formed almost a dynasty uh, and, and now sort of falling off a little bit and there's a lot of players in there who weren't pulling their weight in the Champions League uh, semi-final last season and you just saw them kind of collapse you know, I still Ter Stegen is one of the the best goalkeepers in the world, and you see this, that kind of defense in front of him. He needs a better defense, and and they need better uh, sort of youth players and and you know people in their peak. You know, Arthur Mello was one of those players, and they let him go, which I think is a big mistake. And I want to come to the Manchester United board because it's having the same issue. There is the, there is no clear director of football at this at this team, and you know there, it's very odd. There's Ed Woodward and the Glazers do the business directly. Uh, and, and a lot of times the managers don't get what they want from them. When the board says one thing and the manager wants another. Jose Mourinho and, and, and the board's relationship towards the end of his term was very clear. It, 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 it was very turbulent. There was, there was no kind of understanding the signings that came in. You know, Jose Mourinho never kind of hides his emotions at press conferences. So it was very interesting and and that despite all of this, you know, the managers they've had since Sir Alex Ferguson uh, is one manager who knew what they wanted and said, leave it to me and kind of took control. He was a leader himself, Sir Alex. But, you know, Moes probably didn't give him enough time, didn't give him money to spend. Van Hal got a lot of money in his first season, didn't get a lot in the second season. Same thing with Jose Mourinho and now with Solskjaer, you know, the kind of money they spent in the first season in Solskjaer now is 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 just telling. And another thing is the, the spine of the club is sort of crumbling a little bit. And what I mean by that is saying is there's a lot of players out there in Manchester United who get away with playing average football. You look at Paul Pogba, you know, one of the most Beautiful flair players to watch on his day, the way he sprays the ball out wide, the way he can, you know, get past the defender, uh, the sort of strength and just physicality he has in brushing off people. And he's just not been that for the last... He's, he's just a morale on the club, and, and I'm not sure what it is. And, you know, the, the sort of players, the average players that the club has been recruiting, and the sort of average players that they've kept, you know, the Jesse Lingards, the, the Phil Joneses, you're getting rid of Chris Smalling, who had a really good season with Roma. So it's it's just it's just a very interesting time for Manchester United. They have to figure out who they are again. 
I feel like everything has to start from beginning. You know, obviously, if you are a Manchester United fan, you can't have expectations of say a Liverpool and City right now is winning the league. Third last season definitely papered over a lot of cracks. Uh, the true nature of that season, obviously, United played very well against the big six, uh, to speak. But you know, against the smaller, lesser teams that you're supposed to win, there's still that sort of complacency. So you know, these two teams, Barcelona and Manchester United, have sort of this board war going on between you know the fans, the manager, the players, and then the boards themselves. So it's it's a very very interesting time for those two te- uh, teams and you know they're, they're sort of a little bit of a long shot from what they were in the past so that's it for this second episode of that's the hat trick uh thank you for listening i hope you've enjoyed it and uh, uh i'm your host again aditya rao thank you for listening uh to the podcast i hope to see you again soon thank you